Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey, Merry Christmas. A little early Merry Christmas to you. My name is Drake. It's an honor to have you gathering with us. Welcome to the tail end of December in Boulder, when half the people don't live here and they go see family elsewhere, and some of you stay because you can't afford to go see family elsewhere, or some of you stay because you don't want to go see family elsewhere, but so glad that you're joining us in person today and online. Thanks for being here. We are doing a mini-series this week going into Christmas Eve uh, on, on the idea of Christmas, that God is with us. But i got a couple of quick announcements, some housekeeping to do before we get into the message. So a couple of quick things real fast. Next week is our Christmas Eve service at City Church. Woo! We're doing a special Christmas Eve candlelighting service. Guess what? It's on Christmas Eve. That's Saturday. 5 p.m., you're going to get invites on the way out, and also a great space to invite your friends, especially people who maybe are disconnected from church or far from God. It's an incredible evening, not only to sing all of your favorite songs and do a special candle lighting, but also a really clear and helpful message of hope and peace for all of us as we gather. And so, again, this is our only gathering for the weekend next weekend, so there is no service December 25th. Enjoy your family, stay at home, stay in your PJs, all of that. And then, again, we're gathering on Christmas Eve the 24th. And then also we have uh, the following Sunday, we call it annually Sabbath Sunday. So normally that first Sunday following Christmas where we cancel all of our services and, and encourage everyone to rest, to breathe deep, to reflect. And so the first following Christmas, uh, I'm sorry, New Year's Eve on January 1st, we'll have no services as well. We'll be posting all of that on our social media platforms as well as online, but just giving you the heads up of what's coming up in the Christmas season. So we have today and next week, and then you get a breather to be present to yourself, to God, and to those around you. You guys down? All right, cool. Number two, really pumped about this. We are, for the first time ever, doing what we're calling our City Church Christmas Offering, and this is a really cool opportunity in the middle of a season known for consumerism and materialism, the invitation for our churches as Jesus followers, could we choose to go against the cultural current and invest in the kingdom of God with our generosity? And so the City Church Christmas offering is an invitation between now and December 31st to give above and beyond our regular giving toward an increased impact in in Boulder, the West, and the world. And so you guys already know that we pour a ton of energy, time, and resources into our city and into church planting and to missions all around the world. And this is an initiative to help us do even more things we would do yesterday if we had the budget, but this Christmas offering allows us to then do even more. And so our goal for this Christmas offering is to raise $10,000 toward this unique impact, and it's an address four areas that I want to share with you just so you know where it's going. So number one, we want to double all of our support and financial investment in all of our church planters and missionaries that we currently support. So we've got four church planters in Denver and in Chicago that we're supporting. We'd like to double their support. We've got uh, three different missionaries in, in the Asia area that we would love to support, as well as additional uh, places that we're going to be supporting in the new year. Some missionaries that we're sending out of our very church this coming March. All of that, our goal is to 
to double their existing monthly support to help them in the mission that they're carrying out, which is super cool. The second thing we want to do is in 2023, we want to fund additional outreach events. And so we're all about the weekend gathering and city groups. We love all the spaces that we get to come together as a church. But our mission has never changed, that we exist to help people find their way to God from where they are. What that means is as a church, we are laser focused on meeting people where they are, not hoping that they come to us. We want to love people well by meeting them where they are. And so we do intentional outreach events, much like our community nights, where we'll rent out a local bar and drinks are on the house and create a, sp- a safe kind of third space, if you will, to help people connect in community that maybe would never come on a Sunday or to a city group. And so we're going to fund additional events through this Christmas offering. In addition, we, we say it often that we are about the, the big C church and God's kingdom here in Boulder. And so we love what God is doing uniquely at City Church, but we also love what God is doing in and through all the other churches in Boulder that love Jesus and are loving our city well. And so our, our, our friends at the Well Church. Uh, they just bought a building in South Boulder. They're the only church plant still here after after 10 years of church planting. I, I shared the stat last, last week and I'll share it again. In Boulder, after, after a decade, 39 out of the last 40 churches that have started in Boulder have closed their doors. So there's one church still here today and that's the Well after, now City Church has planted since then, Pinewood has planted since then, but even since we moved here, we saw two church plants close. And so that's not at all the goal, but uh, Boulder is known affectionately as the church planting graveyard uh, where church planters go to die. And so uh, it's a really, really unique place to plant a life-giving church. And so we celebrate that. And our friends at the Well, they bought a a building in South Boulder. We're celebrating with them. And uh, naturally, I mean, God did amazing things through their local community to purchase that property. Um, but like all things in building costs, they got into it, and now they have just a few things that they just simply uh, were not anticipating that they can't handle, and so they reached out to all the local churches saying, hey, can you guys help us with these last few things that the city came at us with? And so City Church wants to invest in the well to help them have their permanent home in South Boulder to continue to love our city well and preach Jesus. You guys down with that? Yeah, Yeah, man, we're so pumped. And the last thing is we were going to take that Christmas offering and have an increased investment in our existing staff team. Our staff team is amazing, aren't they? Man, let's put our hands together for them. They work really, really hard. They work way harder uh, than... than they have to, and uh, they get paid way less than they, they need to be. <laughs> and so we're going to bless them with increased giving over the next year as well. And so that's the, that's the invitation for the Christmas offering between now and December 31st. Here's the invitation for you, and it's just an invitation. Number one is to reflect. Just reflect personally on the impact that God has had on your life in and through City Church. And I want you to look ahead collectively to where we're going as a church, that all of this is about increased missional impact and what God has called us to do. Remember, we exist to help people find their way to God from where they are, and that's the reason we're doing this offering. Number two, I just want to invite you to pray. Ask God how you can join him in what he's already doing here in Boulder and through the local church specifically. And so we believe God's going to reveal his heart for generosity as we seek him and ask him what to invest. And so we're asking you to ask God. That's all you have to do. And uh, and the last thing is we're going to invite you to invest. As you pray and as you seek and as you reflect, then we want to invite you to plant a seed of generosity in the kingdom. No matter the size or contribution, there's power in generosity. And so my family and I, we were praying over this, and and, uh, probably like you, this season is a unique one of like, you know, you're stirred toward generosity, but you also have a lot of generosity opportunities, and sometimes you're getting stretched and maybe a little bit overextended. And so we were praying through it and saying, okay, God, we, we feel like there's a couple different areas you're calling us to be generous in this season. 
And so here is what, uh, uh, just through my own time in the scriptures this week, God spoke to me about, and I just wanted to share this with you as an encouragement. So our family, after praying over it, we felt like God made it clear, and we sent in uh, our Christmas offering earlier this week. Uh, by the way, you can give either envelopes online, uh, you can use your bank's bill pay, however you like to do it. But here's, here's what uh, really encouraged Danielle and I as we were processing the Christmas offering. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul says it this way. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I, I, just, I read that and I'm like, cool, breathe a minute. And then verse eight, this, this gets me every time. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So Danielle and I clung on to that this week as we were uh, praying through it, and uh, it felt like God gave us uh, ex exactly what we should give, and we did it. And so I just want to invite you to do the same thing, to reflect, to pray, and then to invest as God leads you. You guys down with that? If I feel good, I'm excited about it, man. It's going to be amazing. Um, thank you to everyone who's already given to the Christmas offering. It's going to be a, a massive impact in, uh, in Boulder, the West, and the world. Okay, here we go. You ready for the message? Getting into the text? I'm ready for it. I'm excited about it. Christmas season is such a unique season, isn't it? Like, like there's this opportunity, at least, at least from the commercials that you watch um, and, the, and the Christmas movies that give you all the good feels and maybe some of the music. There's like the opportunity for wonder and joy and rest and celebration, it's not here yet, it's coming, right? You get it for 24 hours maybe and then it's gone, but it's coming, right? There's opportunity for wonder and joy and rest and celebration and reflection and, and the list goes on of all the potential that the season carries or at least the ideal that it carries, right? But at the same time, there's this weird busyness and, and consumerism and materialism that even when you're trying to be conscious of it, it's just like, everywhere, and then there's year-end deadlines, and work, and financial stress, and loneliness, and depression. What a mixed bag of feelings in a season, right, that's supposed to be full of joy, and, and, and you either are, 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 you're probably not a mixed bag yourself, or maybe you are. Some people, I think, are carrying all of that. Some of us, we, we have this space, of we know people who, maybe this is their first Christmas that they, they're, they're experiencing where they lost somebody, or, or maybe someone lost their job and they're worrying about how they're going to get their kids' presents, right? There's all these different factors that lead into the feelings of this season. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling the weight of, of just what's happening culturally around us, uh, that, that suicide rates are at an all-time high. And in this season, like statistically, you see it, that, that this season specifically, or all, all holidays rather, so you kind of have just a snowball effect of of Thanksgiving into Christmas, of this loneliness really taking a heavy toll on mental health and depression when it comes to the season for people who are already struggling or maybe it's new for them. And so, man, I mean, the number of, of headlines and the number of Instagram posts where you find out this person took their life or this happened and you're like, man, we have got to do better. We can do better. And so with all the joy and all the excitement, there's also just a real heaviness to the season when it comes to thinking about the people around us. And this is true, I think, for Christians and non-Christians alike. Like, this is not really specific to when it comes to your faith journey. And so as we talk about the conversation of God with us today, I hope to speak into both sides and give us some encouragement and empowerment as we go on about this week heading into Christmas Eve and uh, the holidays. So have you heard the phrase, Jesus 
is the reason for the season. You guys heard that before? Seen it on a bumper sticker, maybe like one of your conservative southern relatives owns a sweater, you know? Like, you don't see a lot of them here in Boulder, but like if you go back to my hood where I'm from in Texas, like this is, you know, this is it. Um, Especially if you can put it in your storefront window. I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, so, so Jesus is the reason for the season. And I understand the sentiment, and, and I, there's truth to that by, by all means. Uh, keeping, the, keeping Christ in Christmas and all, all of those efforts, I get it. Um, but I heard Andy Stanley pose a question this week that I thought was just brilliant, and it was really in, it challenging, so I wanted I want to present it to you. He said, yeah, I, I get that, but, but hold on a second. Aren't, aren't we <laughs> the reason for the season? And like, you think about it, right? Like, if, if you and I, and this is no offense to you and I as we are in the room, it's just the reality we live in. If we weren't such a mess, <laughs> like, if we weren't so jacked up, then there would be no reason for the season, right? I mean, right, the whole point of this cute little baby Jesus being born is he's coming to address a problem. He's coming, entering into this mess of ours, this world that we live in. And so aren't, aren't we, aren't, like, aren't I, aren't, aren't you the reason for the season, right? There would, no, there would be no need for Christ in Christmas if individually or collectively or both we weren't so jacked up, Right? So it's kind of interesting, like, okay, yeah, Jesus is the reason for the season, but maybe more accurately, you and I are the reason for the season, which is maybe encouraging, maybe disillusioning, I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but I think to sum it up, to quote the famous theologian, Kelly Clarkson, <laughs> everybody's got a dark side. You didn't even know that was a Christmas song, did you? You're welcome. Add it to your Christmas playlist. Everybody's got a dark side, right? Why was baby Jesus born? What's this whole Christmas story about? Well, really, it's in this place right here that everyone's got a dark side. And what I love about this song, I actually like, heard it for the first time ever this week, so I'm catching up. But Kelly doesn't leave us hanging in her just amazing theologian brain. In fact, I think that she speaks to something quite profound in the song. So check it out. This is a verse going into a chorus. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'll read it for you, Okay. So she, uh, she says, going into the, the course, she says, don't you give up on me. Remind me who I really am. Everybody's got a dark side. Do you love me? Can you love mine? Nobody's a picture perfect, but we're worth it. You know that we're worth it. And I listen to the song over and over again, and I'm like, man, there's some pretty profound stuff happening in here. Everyone's got a dark side. Yeah, we got that. Like, nobody's perfect. But then there's something that she's saying that I don't know if she realizes that she's connecting it to the Jesus story or not. But like, we're worth it? Like, who, who gets to say that we're worth it? I mean, I, mean, I think collectively we, we feel the weight of this and we feel kind of even in our own dark side, even in our own messes and our own heaviness. But who gets to say that we're worth it? So there's this guy named, named John. He is Jesus' best and closest friend while Jesus is on the planet. And John gives us a picture of, of the Christmas story that's a little different than maybe the one that you've heard. He kind of sums it up really quick in a, in a different picture. So let me show you what John describes as the Christmas story to kind of see where we get this value. John says, and the word, speaking of, G of Jesus, we'll get to that in a second, the word or Jesus, he became flesh, God in a bod, and he dwelt among us. He made his dwelling among us. And so, so for, for John, he's capturing the Christmas story in one quick sentence. And he said, hey, the word or Jesus, he became flesh, born as a human, God in the flesh. That's the Christmas story. And, and what you might not realize is the Christmas story is screaming, you're worth it. That, that, that's the whole premise. Everyone's got a dark side and you are worth it. And the best demonstration, the best declaration of that reality is the Christmas story. 
that Jesus would enter into our mess because everyone's got a dark side and Jesus came to deal with that, to save us from that, to make this life, this invitation into life with God better. Now this, this unique word that he uses, he calls Jesus the word, which I think is kind of weird, right? Like, what does that mean? Here, here's a definition that I wanted to give you to help explain what John is getting at. God's word, when, every time you see like God's word, pre-New Testament, in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. And the personification of that word makes it suitable for John, Jesus' best and closest friend, to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. So to sum that up, what's the Cliff Notes version of that? Here's the Cliff Notes version. That one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that Jesus came was to demonstrate for you and I what God is like. Right? This whole Christmas story, God with us, is Jesus coming in the flesh to demonstrate for you and I what God is like. To demonstrate what he likes and who he likes and what he values and what it takes to be right with him or what it takes to even be noticed by him. Jesus shows up to demonstrate for us God's value of you and me and our neighbors and those far from God. And so no matter where you are today, one of the really cool pictures of the, of the, of the Christmas story is that you are made in God's image and valuable because he says that you are. Whether you care about God or not, this is the disposition of Jesus' followers in the world around us. One of the reasons we live radically generous lives, we love and we share this good news, is because this is the heart of God for every human being on the planet. And so here's the good news. In all of the mess that you find inside of you, whether, whether you feel like it's a ton or, or it's just a little bit that you're trying to keep together and hold together, in all the mess that you find around you, in all of the mess that's the result of your own volitional decisions, in all of the mess that you have inherited or that has been compounded onto your life by others that you would not have chose had it not been for their actions. All of that mess that we find in and around us, Jesus steps right into the middle of it. And the Christmas story is screaming, you are worth it. It's a beautiful, beautiful demonstration of what God is like. And so as we get into the, the text today, I just want to encourage you to reflect on, okay, yes, there's a mess, and the Christmas story came to, like, it has a reason for it. Jesus came to do something. But listen how John goes on to describe his best and closest friend, kind of reflecting as he captures the life of Jesus in John 1, 14. So he says the word, this Jesus, right, he, he, this personification of God, the best demonstration that God could possibly give us of himself is Jesus. He became flesh just like you and I. He made his dwelling among us. He made his life, his home among us. And we have seen his glory. Right, you hear that in a lot of Christmas songs, right? We sing a lot of glory. We have no idea why we're singing it or what it means. We've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father. So let me pause for just a second. This word glory, it could be translated from the Greek, it could be weightiness, it could be brilliance. It could be majesty. The word literally can mean to magnify. Not like you get a telescope out. My kids aren't in the room, are they? They got telescopes for Christmas. Oh, no, no, no. Magnifying. What is it called? What is it? Microscope. Not a telescope. That one. Yes, the little one. They got microscopes for Christmas, and I'm pumped about it because I'm going to use it to go check out things. I don't know. And so, so don't think microscope. 
Think telescope, right? A microscope takes something small and makes it large. A telescope helps you capture something bigger than you can imagine. And so to magnify, what does Jesus do? He steps onto the pages of human history, right into the middle of all of our dysfunction and all of our mess, and he magnifies for us a picture of God, this God that is so big that we can't even comprehend, but then you can get into a telescope, and you're like, man, I can't see all of the universe, but I can get a little closer. I can get a picture of this thing, and every little moment I get a glimpse of a different part, it blows me away. That's what it means to, to capture the glory of God. You guys kept, kept following with me here? So, so why is it so weighty? Where, where does this glory come from? Check it out. He tells us because Jesus showed up full of grace and truth. That's why it's weighty because this is such a messy space to be. G- grace maybe would be easy just to give undeserved favor with no strings attached. That one's easy. Truth is easy, just like unreserved truth, no feelings, no don't care how you receive it, just tons and tons of reality with no grace. Those two are easy to deliver separately, but together it's so messy to deliver grace and truth at the same time. And so this glory, this weightiness is that Jesus shows up representing, demonstrating what God is like for you and I and, and it's messy. Why? Because grace is this, like, it's a gift. It literally can be translated gift, right? It's Christmas time. Why do we give gifts? We've been telling our kids all, all, all winter season, like, hey, well, you know, presents, why, why do we do all of this? Because God gave us the gift of Jesus, and we give gifts to celebrate. Grace is a gift. It, it, it means kindness and favor that can't be earned. And specifically, it, it means that it's, it's a favor that's not deserved, And there's an emphasis on grace over and over again that it's something that has to be received. While extended to you, it has to be something that you respond to. But then truth shows up, and and it's this, this very declaration and revelation of reality itself. So you and I have, have ways of thinking about the world, a worldview that informs how we interpret and how we respond and how we see things around us. And, and then sometimes those things are accurate, and sometimes we see things and they're a little bit off, aren't they? Sometimes our versions of reality, our interpretations of situations, they're not always true. And so Jesus shows up with the very fabric of reality and declaration. So he shows up with buckets of grace and forgiveness and an invitation back into reality as God has created it to be. And so Jesus is helping us understand as the demonstration what it means to be right with God, what it means to love God, what it means to actually love your neighbor, not like our definitions of these things, what it means to be fully human. Over and over again, Jesus would invite people into following him, and he would, he would describe it like, hey, this is the life that is truly life. Like, the life you've been looking for that you haven't found yet, it's right here. The life that is truly life is in a relationship with me. And it's, in fa- it's found in receiving his grace and living in his truth, but trusting that he is actually good, and what he wants is our good. So he goes on, verse 16. Um, and he says, for from his fullness, that's Jesus, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, or buckets of grace. This is interesting. I don't know about you, maybe you showed up and you kind of feel full this morning, but like you probably have days where you feel anything but full, right? Like there's moments when you're just like empty, spiritually empty, emotionally empty. It's the end of, you know, Christmas is almost here, financially empty, like wherever you are, right? We have spaces where we just feel empty, and one of the unique things about our human posture is, is like we're constantly trying to fill that emptiness in all sorts of ways. And then Jesus shows up, and from his fullness, we 
receive this, this grace. And so you might feel empty, but then Jesus shows up and he pours out buckets of grace. He gives us his fullness. So that life that is truly life it's an invitation. And this might sound kind of heady and kind of ethereal and like really fancy for the Christmas story, but stick with me because this is John who walked with Jesus and he's trying to capture his best friend while also giving us a picture that he wasn't just some dude or a good teacher. He was God in the flesh and John is trying to capture for us. Like, guys, this is not the idea of Jesus. This is how I saw him live. His life was always so full. He lived with this amazing ability to love people with grace and truth. And I mean, John would say, guys, I watched him call Peter Satan. <laughs> like one of our dudes, one of our closest guys, he called him the devil. And then I watched them have lunch on a beach together after that, after Peter had denied him, and there was just buckets of grace. And over and over again, I saw Jesus do things that just were so messy, but so full of the right kind of grace and truth. This is what he's getting at. Now, watch how he lands it. This Christmas story for John. He says, for the law, think about like the, ten, the big 10, 10 commandments, don't kill people, stuff like that. Good stuff. The law was given through Moses, but for John, he says, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So he's co comparing and contrasting for a second, and this is interesting, because this word law, let me, let me show you how, how Paul describes the law. This is in Colossians 2. He says the law is, is like a shadow of the things that were to come. So if you ever picked up the Bible in front of you and looked at the Old Testament, it kind of gets confusing, and you're like, man, there's lots of rules and regulations in here and things to do and not do, and, and then Jesus shows up, and he's full of grace and truth, and so what's the tension here? Paul describes it. He says these things are like a shadow of the things that were to come. I, lo I love this word. Again, the reality, right? That's what Jesus came to bring, this truth. The reality, however, is found in Christ, that is Jesus. And so, so you know about shadows, right? Like, you've seen one before, right? Watch Peter Pan, stuff like that, okay. So, so think about a shadow. What is a shadow? A shadow is not necessarily a wrong demonstration of something. It's just incomplete, right? A shadow is cast from, from a shadow caster, <laughs> maker, whatever's in the way. Uh, me and my kids will play like, you know, in the shadows with our hands and make puppets and stuff. And, and, and there's something, you know, no, shadows can be unclear and they're reflecting something accurate, but they're not always on point, right? They can be like, so, so you know how you can call somebody that you love or they can call you and without seeing the ID on your phone, like you can hear their voice and you can recognize them, right? Danielle calls me and I can just know it's her. Well, that's not always true of their shadow, is it, right? Like, like if you see the person, this person that you love deeply, if you only see their shadow, do you know it's them, right? Like, Danielle could probably figure out that it was me because of my amazing physique. <laughs> like, my shadow, you know, it's probably pretty clear. It's like toothpicks, you know? <laughs> like, clear, oh, that's gotta be true. But, but, right, th there's, there's a lack of clarity. There's substance to a shadow, but it's incomplete. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, like, if you read the Old Testament, it's full of grace. It's, it's, not, it's not like one was bad and the other is better, but Jesus came to complete what was started in the grace of God through this story that we see in the scriptures. And so this reality, this shadow is made complete. John would say, hey, listen, there's a ton of people who are trying to, like, they're guessing at what God is like, what it means to have a relationship with him, what he expects, what he wants. It's just kind of like a guessing game, looking at shadows, thinking, I think that's, like, what it looks like. But then John would say, guys, listen, you don't have to guess anymore. You don't have to try to make sense of shadows anymore because I've met the shadow caster 
That's who Jesus is. Christmas is the clearest picture, the clearest revelation possible of what God is like. And it's not just an idea. This is a person that John knew, and he's trying to describe it to us. And so you and I fast forward with John from this early Christmas story capturing to, to John now kind of going to the cross. So it, if you know anything about Jesus and in the, in the Christmas story, it, it starts with cute little baby Jesus, but because of, there's this mess that he came to deal with, it's going to the cross. Jesus didn't, didn't come just to be here, but he came to deal with our mess, and it's going to culminate in the cross where Jesus dies, and then three days later he resurrects. Now John and his guys, they have no idea about this on the front end. And so if you and I fast forward with him, yes, we're worth it, but, but what does that mean? That worth is demonstrated not just by the birth of Jesus, but by the death of Jesus in our place for our sin or our mess. And so check out the scenario as, as John captures it. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. And so this is right before the culmination of the Christmas story accomplishing its purposes. And this is the conversation that Jesus is having with his guys. He says, hey guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He's like, listen, I, I've been here the whole time. Trust me, right? I'm God in a body right here in front of you, God in the flesh. And right before this, I mean, he's, he's starting to talk about his death, and he's going somewhere they can't, and they're just confused. They have no idea what's going on. They've got their own pictures and ideas about God, and they're just, they're, they're still kind of in the shadow realm. And Jesus is saying, hey, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled, to which they respond, that didn't help. <laughs> they're still Troubled, and he goes on. He says, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself, that where I am you might be also. So he's talking about going somewhere to his father's house, and he's called God his father, but he's also in the flesh. So they're like, Where where are you going again? And Jesus says, Hey, you can come with me, verse four, and you know the way to where I am going. You know where I'm going. To which they respond. Check this out. This is hilarious. Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> where are you going? Like, and, and how can we know the way? It's super funny. So over and over again, Jesus is having this, this dialogue. I'm the best demonstration of God for you to know what God is like. And I'm accomplishing these purposes. And they're like, what are you talking about? I thought we had this thing going where we're going to take over Jerusalem and you were going to be a king. And, 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 and I love this because one, one of the reasons that we can lean into the Gospels, that like these, these eyewitness accounts of the stories of Jesus, is because they're, they're not fabricating the story, right? They don't like rewrite the story to make themselves look good. They leave all of the raw parts in there, and the dudes are just clueless. And then Jesus responds. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And, and Jesus is making some pretty big statements here. He says, hey, I'm the way, meaning I'm the way, I'm the means by which you get to God. Like, if you're looking for God, this is how you do it. I'm the truth, the, the very access point into reality. Everything you think you know about God, forget it and look at me. I'm, I'm the very access point into life. That is, that very fullness that you're looking for in life around you, you're going to find it in me. And Jesus is making some big claims here. He's saying, hey, listen, it, you're, you're going to miss God completely if you miss me. 
If you look past me and you look anywhere else, you're going to miss God. I'm as good as it gets. And so this is one of those spaces, if you walked away from faith, stayed away from faith or from church, you've been burned by the church or by God's people and you have negative experiences and all these questions and you've been told to shove your doubts and don't ask hard questions and just believe. This is one of those spaces where we turn around and we begin to consider or reconsider the invitation from Jesus. And I love this at the end because Jesus says, hey, from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him, to which they're going to respond in a minute. We do? We have? <laughs> I don't, and, and they're not getting it. Over and over again, Jesus is trying to paint a picture, and they are not. He's like, I came to make it clear. And they're like, what are we talking about? Nothing's clear. And I, and I love it because it goes on. Well, let's just land on this big point real fast. If, Jesus is saying something really big that we need to capture. If you're looking anywhere other than Jesus to find God, then you're looking in the wrong place. That's a really heavy statement. That's a really big statement, especially if you're wrestling with faith or trying to process what you believe about God and the church, and you're like, wow, that feels a little bit exclusive. Uh, and, then, and maybe it is, but at the same time, for Jesus, I think it's meant to be clarifying. He doesn't want to leave any guessing, no more shadows. This is as clear as it gets. What you're looking for is right here in me. And some of you, you walked away from faith or you have friends that have stayed away from faith and someone gave you or them this, this version of God in this little bitty box with a, a few like good God ideas and a little bit of theology and then you grew up and you went on to the rest of your life and life happened to that little bitty God box in, in your little bitty version of theology and all of a sudden everything gets blown up and you've been told not to ask hard questions, you've been told not to doubt and that those things aren't welcome and Jesus is saying, man, get rid of all of that. Don't, don't just, just drop that idea of what you think God is like, and Jesus says, look at me. You want to know what God is like? Look at me. Watch me. Listen to me. Follow me, and you will see what God is like. And so Philip's head is spinning at this point. Here's what he says in response to all of this. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Which sounds pretty, like, like it sounds kind of sentimental and helpful. You're like, oh yeah, that's a good question. No, 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 he's saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. You know what, like just forget all of that. If you could just show us, the, if you could just do this one thing, then, then it'll finally be clear. I, I wonder, do you have something like that in the room? Like, like, God, if you could just do X, I would finally, like if you could just do this for me, it would make so much more sense. And Jesus is saying, listen, this is as good as, it gonna, as it's going to get. I'm, as, I'm the clearest picture that you're ever going to need. And he goes on. He says, don't you know me? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. There it is. This statement either means he's crazy or he's telling the truth. If you've seen me, you've seen, Jesus called God the Father over and over again. He's seen God. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I'm gonna invite Kari to come and, and play the keys for us. And as we, as we land the plane here, I want you to wrestle with this because in this moment, Jesus is trying to clarify for them. He, he came to reduce the distance between you and I and God. He came to add clarity to what God is like. You want to know what God is like? You want to know what it takes to be on the receiving end of this grace that he's talking about? Jesus says, don't look out there. 
Don't, don't look in here. Look at me. That's the invitation from Jesus. And what's hilarious, guys, is they still don't get it. After all of this, they are clueless. They cannot wrap their heads around it. So what happens? At the end of this night, one of the dudes in the room, his name is Judas. What does he do? He betrays Jesus. Jesus is in the garden praying later. He shows up with an army to arrest Jesus in the middle of the night. They're going to take him to be crucified. All of his guys are with him. And all of these words are in their head. And what do they do? They freak out. They run away. And they don't believe. They lose all faith. They, they are like, we have just wasted the last three years of our lives on this guy who claimed to be something he is clearly not. And they get none of it. They capture none of it. They do not believe, and they run away. And then there's this incredible moment that no one saw coming. No one could believe. Even when they were looking at Jesus resurrected from the dead, they had their doubts. What in the world? They, they had no idea. And what's amazing is these same guys who unbelieved and ran away also would later meet the resurrected Jesus. Three, and he's like, wow. And it all came together for them. Everything Jesus said, everything he came to do, it became crystal clear in those moments. And so the very same men and women, the, the multitude of people who unbelieved and left Jesus are the same people who would later give their lives to make sure that the story of Jesus gets to my ears and to yours that survives the first century. So we have a Christmas story because we're the reason for the season. You see, for them, when Jesus resurrected, it changed everything because they realized Jesus didn't just have the best explanation of God. Jesus was the best explanation of God. And so I think if they could talk to us today, they'd give an invitation that looks something like this. If they could just help us respond to this, because right now it's an idea. Right now it's like, cool, Jesus is the image of God. What do we do with that? Let me just invite you to, into a few things. I think, number one, they would say something like this. Don't, don't draw your conclusions about God based on the circumstances around you. They would say, listen, we, we did that and, and nothing made sense. If you're trying to understand the love and compassion and mercy and wisdom and nearness and love of God, don't base your understanding on your circumstances. Because they're not pointing to reality. But they would also, I think, encourage us to say, hey, listen, don't, don't look within. As if the answers are there because you and I, man, we, we, we are a mess. We have these wounded hearts. We have limited experience. And our hearts don't always tell us the truth. I think if they could encourage us with one thing, they would tell us. Look at Jesus. Look straight. That's, that's what you're looking for. Look at Jesus. Everything you think you want to know, everything you're confused about, everything you need clarity on, look at Jesus. This is not theology. This is not concept. This is not something that your grandma believed. This is a person that you can know. And Jesus came to demonstrate the very nature and person and character of God to illustrate and to communicate what God is like. So here's the question that I want us to wrestle with this week. There's a Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can take that as a gift for you out of the seat backs in front of you. But the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, kind of at the very beginning of your New Testament, those are all the stories of Jesus' life captured through eyewitness accounts. And you can pick up any of them. So this week I'm probably going to pick up Mark. 
And I'm just going to read it. I'm going to ask this question as I read this week. What do I learn about the Father from the Son? Because I realize even if you've been following Jesus for a minute or you, you've been told things about God, you have ideas about God just like them, you, you and I could be wrong, couldn't we? Or maybe at least there's a lack of clarity. And so this week, I want to press in, and I just want to look at the life of Jesus and say, man, what am I learning about God from Jesus and how he responds, who he engages with, the hard truths that he says, the grace that he gives, his rhythms, everything about his life. What do I learn about God from Jesus? And maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I would encourage you, do the work yourself. Don't take my word for it. Take John's word for it and Luke's word for it and dig in and see who is this Jesus. But the second question I would ask, especially if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, is how should I love others in light of how God has loved me? You see, it's one thing to take a concept. This is what God is like. It's another thing to take that same concept and understand that this is what God is inviting me to be to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, it comes out of the space of knowing and letting it get inside of us and loving those around us. So your coworkers and your family members and those that you meet while you're shopping and your barista and all of the people in between, how should we love those around us? How should we spend our time and our energy and our resources? How would Jesus respond to this situation? What does grace and truth look like in this situation? When I, when I started the service by saying we can do better, this, this is what it looks like. It's getting a, a more clear picture of God's love for us and a more clear, clear picture of what it means to live that out in the world around us. So, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're wrestling with. If you're a follower of Jesus or you're wrestling with faith, but I would invite you to look at Jesus. Let me show you Kelly Clarkson's wise words one more time. There's a really powerful word in here that I think communicates how we love people well. She says, hey, don't, don't give up on me. Remind me who I really am. One of the best ways that you and I can love and serve people around us this season is by speaking that kind of grace and truth, by not giving up, and reminding them of the reality of who they are. It's amazing how, how often we need to be, be reminded of that. Asher this week, my, my youngest son, he was having a moment. <laughs> he was being mean to his brother, and then because he got in trouble for being mean, he got more mean, and he had this whole thing go on. And it's really frustrating, right? It'd be really easy to respond with all truth in that moment but I'm preaching about it on Sunday, so I gotta do grace and truth, right? Like, I can't, can't be a hypocrite. So, so I go to him, and I, and I get down on his level and say, hey, listen, man, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You're kind. You're, you're thoughtful. The way you're acting right now, that's not who you really are. And I bring him back to both a space of grace and truth that this is not good for you and others but it's not condemning and it's not shameful, but I speak the truth over him. How many more of us could use someone speaking that truth when we're struggling with depression or anxiety or frustration 
This is the space that I think we can walk into because we're worth it. You're worth it. And they're worth it. So let's pray together and respond accordingly. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes as you, as you do that right now? It's just a moment of reflection privately. No one's looking around, so you don't have to worry about anybody else in the room, but this is just a moment to respond. Maybe you've heard the Christmas story before. Maybe you've heard all the cliches that Jesus is the reason for the season. Maybe you've been around all of that. Maybe you're familiar with your mess or the mess that other people have created for you or a little bit of both. Maybe you've had ideas about God that have come from poor experiences. Maybe you've had shadows of what God is like. And maybe for the first time, you're hearing just a clear invitation that Jesus is that demonstration of God for you. That he came and he was born and he lived a perfect life like you and I can't. He didn't have his own mess, but he entered into our own and he would ultimately die on the cross for our sins, for our mess to redeem and forgive it. But then he would rise again, proving that he was indeed who he said he was. And this same Jesus that was born in a major is the same Jesus that resurrected from the dead, offering us new life. And if you've never responded to that grace, received that gift of new life, it's not something you earn, it's not something you deserve, it's not something you perform for, it's something you receive. In your own heart and mind, you can pray and say, Jesus, I want that grace. I want to know God and I want to know you. I want to follow you and have that life that is truly life. And if you would pray that in your own heart and mind today, I want you to have confidence that God meets you in that space, makes you completely new, and starts you on a new journey of life with him. If you're a Jesus follower in the room, I just want us to reflect and the busyness of the season and the distraction and maybe our own heaviness. What would it look like to love those around us like Jesus loves us, full of grace and truth? And what might God be calling us to? Maybe there's a person that comes to mind as you pray. Maybe there's, there's something that you feel led to do or share or say. Whatever that is, let's make an intention this week to press in and ask what God would have us do. And may all of us, as, as followers of Jesus, may we look for opportunities to invite people to, to join us for Christmas Eve, to come and hear the good news and to celebrate with us the reason for the season. It's in Jesus' name, amen.